This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Greg James, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line Podcast and Sports History Network, as well as CFL America Radio. And I want to say welcome to the Sports History Network Showcase, where today I'm your guest host and joined by our show, our this show's host, Oz Davis, as well as Darren Hayes, to talk about their new podcast, the Orville, the Orville Mulligan Sports Writer Podcast. Their podcast is an audio drama that tells a tale of a semi-famous newsman of the 1920s, during which there was a time of great cultural change in politics, fashion, art, cinema, fashion, and especially sports. On the Sports History Network, Darren is the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, and Oz is the host of Truly the Goats podcast, the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast over in the Canadian Football Podcast Network. With all that said, guys, that's a mouthful out of my mouth. Welcome, and uh, we've been wanting to do this for a while. And um, the, the first episode of Orville Mulligan is out on anywhere, anywhere you find podcasts. And I listened to it and I got to say, I loved it. So uh, with that said, let me ask you guys, how did this all, how did the idea for this come about? Because this really intrigued me because back in the day, you know, back way back before we grew up, radio was the thing. So where did the idea for an audio drama come out, come from? Well, I, I guess it probably started about a little over a year ago. And, you know, what a, what a, the coolest time period, I think, in the, the history of United States history has got to be the 1920s. There was so much happening in there. And when you take that into the, the element of sports history, it's still pretty cool. I mean, you still got some great things happening. So I sat down one day and I was sitting there thinking, boy, how could you, uh, portray this great period of history uh, of sports in a different way than just doing a regular podcast like we, we all do just to just give it a different feel to almost live it so i went to probably the most creative person i, I know that's uh, on the podcast realm and that's oz davis and i presented that that issue to him and i said you know we, we need to do something about this you know we, we know how to podcast we know how to talk about sports history but how can we relay this in a different manner to the public and, and that was his first mistake yeah I could pro- <laughs> probably was but, no. but uh just uh, came up with a cool idea and we we sat down and uh ground some things out and came up with this character of orville mulligan that we plunged in at first into the 1924 sports scene and uh i'll I'll let oz take it from there on some of the creative things that he he did with that yeah um i'm gonna blame some of this on society uh the thing i'll I'll tell you what i mean by that in a minute but darren darren's original idea was i guess you could kind of compare it to a short story Darren had the idea, he just had a conception of a young sports reporter scoring an interview with Walter Camp, essentially the inventor of modern football. And, but then, but literally, probably by the end of 48 hours, 
you know, you come up with an entire world around this character. I mean, we came up with a name, you know, gave him this very Irish name. And so a lot of that, you know, the background writes itself. I mean, you're starting from the 20s and you go backwards. And of course, okay, so you get that wave of immigrants at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, being his parents and whatnot. You have the whole working conditions. Um, you know, we picked a city to base him in. Some, <laughs> we wanted to go a major metropolitan area, but not one too fast in the public imagination. Right. right? Like, I think I know Boston pretty well. Yeah. Well, but I would get what, into trouble because I think too many people know the particulars of Boston. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was something that kind of struck me in the beginning when I knew it was based. And I know Darren is from the Pittsburgh area. So using Pittsburgh to me was like perfect because, yeah, like you said, you know, I'm, I'm here in Chicago. So your first episode is based in Chicago. And um, as a Chicagoan, I didn't hear any errors in terms of location, time, and place. And, um, but when you come from like a smaller town, and Darren, and obviously, you know, you know the Pittsburgh area well, that you were able to create a fiction which was very much anybody, this is very based on reality. And obviously, the, the newspaper is fiction and the, the characters are fiction, but it's something that anybody I think who grew up and again, we're, you know, anybody who grew up that time in, in the 1920s, not that anybody's a whole lot of people are still around from then, but would be able to relate to going, yeah, this, this kind of fits it. It's like, uh, you know, to use a good example of uh, eight men out when that movie was, came out oh. very much, very Chicago. I, I always Great. catch errors in that, but it's very much that feel of 1920s Chicago. So mm -hmm um or, or 1910 chicago in that era so yeah well, that's that was the challenge that's the wonderful challenge i'm finding with historical fiction right is that you want to be as true as possible to the reality right like i can't stand based on a true story and then they take nothing away from it right like like you talk about eight men out Okay, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think it must be, all things considered, the best sports movie ever made in America, I think. Just, just because of the way that it's so much more than just about sports. Um, and you, t you talk about that movie, and it's just like, okay, I know that the trial doesn't happen directly after the season. I know it happens in the middle of 1920, and da 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 right? But that the real people are there and the real quotes from the uh, court are there, right? And the real scores from the games are there. When the pitcher hits a triple in game one, that's real, right? That made headlines the next day, right? Because it was against the mighty White Sox, right? <laughs> but that's another, that's a rabbit hole. There. Okay, so for me, that's like the big challenge of the book, right? We're trying to be as precise as possible, but we really did want to give it the fictional, uh, do we talked about very early on we kicked around the idea of you know grantland rice uh you know just doing that story and it's just like well you know a a lot of people know more about him than we do and b you know i feel like that's kind of been done i mean like um what's his name there are a couple of famous sports writers in there including a uh, ring larder ring lardner is in uh, eight men out so again like 
to some extent, these sports writers have been done. I mean, we do know about these early guys. I mean, Grantland Rice had a whole friggin' website at ESPN named after him. Okay, people know who these guys are. So it's easier to control a fictional person in that real world. He can go yeah. anywhere. And, and we wanted to capture, when, once we got into it, we wanted to capture more than just the sports history. We sort of wanted to try to preserve the, the history of the era. So with the fictional characters, we can sit there and talk about, you know, women's suffrage and prohibition and, you know, gangsters in Chicago. We could get into some of those realms and how they crossed into the, the world of sports at the time, too. You know, and also we have sort of that undertone of, you know, radio media versus the written word of the newspaper. We have that conflict going on. So we could do a little bit more with that with our fictional newspaper men than choosing a Grantland Rice or, or any of the others that were of that era. So it makes it kind of an interesting twist that we could do on that too. Yeah. And the way you, and the way you incorporated real life characters into the story, for example, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, the coaches at uh, the University of Chicago and the University of Illinois and your first episode. And Red Grange. Yeah, Grange gets a few lines in there too. But that that was kind of a, an interesting twist that, that Oz threw at it. You know, we wanted to we almost put a modern uh, spin on it because we had almost a coach's speak before the game took place with, right. with you know with Zupke and Stag and, and Grange in there uh, with you know interacting with our reporters and we took some actual quotes maybe not before that Chicago Illinois game but actual. Right. Uh, quotes that those men had said and we put them into the dialogue that our actors used and it came off uh, tremendously uh, in part one of Chicago. When great events in history occur, do witnesses realize the importance? Looking back on my time now, I realize I was one of the lucky ones, privileged to tell the stories of those times. I'm Orville Mulligan, sports writer. So for your first episode, it's set in Chicago. Is each episode going to, how is it, how is the story going to, I guess, unfold in terms of where, when, time, place, are you going, are you following a season? Are you following a certain, where is Orville going with this story um, as a newspaper reporter? Well, we sort of gave it a, a, almost a Star Wars spin. We sort of started in the middle of our story with Chicago, but our story arc is going to go, you know, the later episodes that you're going to hear, we're going to go back to sort of the, the beginning of the fall of 1924 and follow it through basically the, the middle of the first quarter of uh, 2020 or 1925. <laughs> <laughs> that would be I jumped awesome. a century by Yeah, we're really staying true to sort of that interaction with Walter Camp, which the, the audience hasn't heard yet. Okay. Again, the original conception was all about this guy um, getting to interview Walter Camp. Okay, that's still there. You're going to have to wait until episode, what, 14, 15, whatever it is. Right. But yeah. you'll get it, sort of. <laughs> okay, yeah. so that carrot on the stick is still there. And basically, um, you know, again, we are following a hard schedule of actual events. And so the, the, the climax or the ending, let's not be pretentious of the story, is when Walter Camp uh, is at how they used to have the All America dinner, 
New York, right? You name the All-American team, certain other awards, da 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 Okay, so that's your end point. The story arc is, you know, I guess, um, Orville becoming enough of a writer that Walter Camp will sit in a room with him and give him the time of day. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, this is not, this is a question of access, right? And it's almost as though the, the, the through line, the story arc is Orville earning that access, earning that standing. Is Orville just following football or is he following baseball too? Oh no, we've got, I guess it's not too much of a spoiler to tell you that uh, what would normally be story two, episode two, will be set at the 1925 World Series uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've also got coming up, we'll be doing a little bit of boxing, a little bit of okay. wrestling in the city of Pittsburgh. And also um, one other baseball story, kind of, that I don't really want to give away because I'm so excited about it. And I feel like if I talk about it, I'm going to jinx it. Obviously, the Steelers are not going to play into the story because it's well before the time in the Steelers. But are, how, how big are the Pirates going to – are the Pirates going to kind of enter into this story? Because I know he's he, – you know, being from Pittsburgh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that being in the hometown team, they're going to be kind of part of the story as you go along because, you know, it is – Back then, Pittsburgh wasn't that big, but they, they did have a Major League Baseball team. We, we will have uh, some elements of Pittsburgh baseball in the storylines. And I'm not going to say say how, because it'd, be, it'd right. spoil it, but we are going to have some elements of Pittsburgh baseball. And Forbes Field. It, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm not trying to pry anything out of you. It's, it's for a lot of people who are listening may not know much about, you know, Pittsburgh baseball history and Forbes Field itself, just uh, it's such an iconic um, baseball stadium. Well, I won't say I won't say too much more, but, you know, Pittsburgh League Baseball in the 1920s was a lot more than the Pirates. In fact, our newspaper's headquarters is located in a part of Pittsburgh known as Homestead. Okay. Yeah, I, I slightly familiar. I, I yeah, I hear where you're going. So this this might also be a hint to upcoming episodes. I can hear where you're going. I was also speaking with Darren, you know, in my delusional state of massive success for this podcast. You know, 1927, of course, we have that very important team called the New York Yankees. But what a lot of folks forget is that the 1927 Pittsburgh Pirates are pretty freaking good. And I think it would be pretty interesting to do maybe after we wrap this first season, a mini series, maybe about the 27 World Series, maybe three episodes about uh, the Yankees and the Pirates. Uh, maybe find an actor who can play Luke Garrett, find an actor who can play Babe Ruth. Find an actor to play, I don't know, Honus Wagner. <laughs> and uh, maybe we can uh, do that. But uh, but yes, of course, the Pirates of this time are highly important, you know, still in the area, sort of playing semi-pro ball okay. at the time. Because, of course, Honus Wagner, one of the all-time great uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay. So okay. You know, and, stuff and, like that won't be and, and And like, you know, just kind of following on what you said, so – you have characters, and but you have people behind the characters, namely the voice actors. Who um, tell us how, how you know? Tell us about the voice actors who are portraying um, all the main characters. A um, little bit about you know, obviously who they are, 
and where did you find them and how did i mean you had to cast this so tell me about that process how that that went well about. at the beginning at the beginning this is where darren earned his first stripes as a producer go for it darren well we you know we thought it was important to uh have actors from you know around across the country and i boy do we uh do that with bells on uh we actually are two main characters of orville mulligan and his uh i guess you would call it his boss uh, the, the lady that uh he's maybe has a, an interest in uh, marla. marla she uh, they are both western pennsylvania uh, born and raised uh human beings that are acting in them and actually doug fi that plays orville is an old classmate of mine that uh you know, we happened to see each other at a reunion this past summer and talked to it. His wife, Ilana, plays the role of Marla in it. And okay. we thought it fit so perfectly because these are Pitt Pittsburgh area, uh, Western Pennsylvania area people playing, you know, Pittsburgh uh, characters in it. And I th we thought that was important, even though it's a, right. a century later. And it really it really comes off, I think, in, in the episodes as the, the, these folks are acting because they're great actors. Now, we conceived of this idea before we cast Doug and Ilona, but let me ask you this, actually. Um, did you, was that the first time you had met Ilona? Was that this class reunion thing? Oh, yeah, that's the first time I met Ilona, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you know that she was, like, perfect, like, the first time she said hello? I mean. Well, I, I didn't know. We got in a conversation, and they said that they were, actors you know during covid for actors doing small theater wasn't a real good time to, to have that trade and we were cooking around this uh idea of having voice actors come on and i said you know we got in a conversation i said well would you ever be interested in doing an audio drama and they both said oh my gosh yeah especially ilana and you could tell just by her talking it's at that point i started listening to her voice something and now, this is the voice that i picture if i close my eyes i would picture marla delft you know, talking and boy, I mean, it, it was a home run for, for both those, those folks. Cause they did an outstanding job at the, the roles. But then we, we said, boy, we have a lot of other characters we have to fill. And, you know, Oz had some connections over near the, near the West side of the country. And I'll let you, him fill you in on, on those actors coming in. Well, yeah, I've uh, ever since uh, I've always associated with that, a lot of artistic types, let's say, especially in theater um but also in music and, and other things and um right <laughs> and um so when i went to grad school you know my degree is in theater my degree is in dramatic writing my master's and so you know i kept those contacts and so at a whim i'm like where could i get like dozen actors really quickly <laughs> and so i hit up one of my friends from albuquerque i'm like uh, hey uh we're trying to fill some roles in audio drums you guys think you could do this for like very little pay and he was like sure <laughs> and you know luckily luckily my friend eric who was cast as you know the editor-in-chief of the pittsburgh guardian frank delft um you know he's one of these guys that knows everybody so he whipped up a whole bunch of people really fast. You know, a mutual friend of ours set us up with a recording studio. Um, and, and we went from there. And the, the results that he turned in were just stunning. A lot of these actors are like literally professional. All of them like get <laughs> regular work, pandemic notwithstanding, um, in acting. And so it's just, 
they're just really pleased with the results so far. Yeah. Um, just really great. And, you know, it's, it's gratifying to be at this point in my life because you're able to draw on those connections. Right. And those people have, like you, have amassed so much experience in their field. And so, you know, it's great to have those connections and, and it's great to be able to depend on such a high level of talent. Yeah. And so in bringing them all together, how did it work? Did you guys do it by Zoom? Did you do it by, I mean, obviously, you know, um, I, I'm guessing everything had to be as done as remotely as possible to. We did, we did a short pilot um, in which we did a reading did a script reading because it was only the three characters. Right. And it was only our three, three stars. And so, yeah, we did a reading on that, but nah, you got to record this stuff like bro. Okay. And, and the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is with the Albuquerque folks, with the folks down in Albuquerque, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's casting some 24, 25 parts with 10 or 11 different actors and he's doing them all one at a time. So again, I don't want to give up too much of the magic, but if you think these people are in the same room and reacting to each other, that's me. <laughs> that's me <laughs> putting it together in the sound editing room. Okay, that's why it sounds like that. And the fact that these guys are talented enough that they can do that. This is a way people don't realize this. They think that something like movie acting is, is easier than theater acting. Right, because theater, you got to go out there, bam, 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 bam. You got to do it for like an hour, right? But movies are like, you have to show up. You have to wake up maybe at a crazy hour and you have to start from like page 93 or today it's a page 157 or whatever. You know, you, you have to come from nowhere yeah, and get into that It's space. not sequential. It's, it, it's so out of, yeah. Right, and that's what these guys all did in Albert. And, and what, what a challenge for each of the actors because they don't have uh, somebody they're really playing off of the conversation with. Sometimes they're doing it by just reading off the script and acting it, and nobody's there to respond to you, and then you got to come up with your next line. Right. So some of them, they, they all had their little tricks, I'm sure. They might have had somebody uh, you know, off mic uh, reading them lines in their earpiece or whatever. Uh, I, I've heard some different things that, that they were doing. But you know, just the talent of, of these actors, it really comes through. And you know, the magic of podcasting, you know, piecing it together that the Oz did a great job on. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, you feel like you're there. It sounds insane to do it this way. But let me tell you, during the pandemic, okay, I read about several high market animated shows that had to do this the exact same way. They, they send the script to the actors at their home. They go in a little sound booth or whatever that they have at their home. They record it and then they send it in. <laughs> the guy at Paramount Plus or, or Nickelodeon or whatever had to staple it all together. So it's really, I mean, this is what everybody's doing now. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it goes, it, it, it just goes to show you where we're at in general. You know, we're looking back at a hundred, you know, so the story is a hundred years ago. So forward a hundred years where we're at technology wise to be able to do this with when all you really need is a, say, let's say a good $500 laptop a microphone and a good internet connection and you guys are doing what back in the 1920s it took you know using chicago as a as an example at wgn which is the major radio station here in town you had stu a studio full 
of musicians, actors, <laughs> and everything. So it's it's kind of amazing when you at least when I sit there and think about it, going, yeah, what they're doing now. If they, you know, people a hundred years ago would be shocked as to see how we're doing this now um, to talk about their time period. That's the awesome thing about doing something set in the past, though. Right. Right. You have these long spaces, right, where people either have to be talking to each other or they have to be doing something other than typing on a screen. Yeah. You know, I mean, that to me, that's awesome. There's so much time there. There's so many settings you can use and all that. And, you know, I look at these movies and I marvel at any movie these days that's, that's, a, that's a fiction that's not a superhero film that can actually do something which isn't about the internet. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so tempting to just say, oh, well, he just calls him up on his cell phone. You know, it's problem solved. <laughs> but in the 20s, it's not so easy. Or when they, you know, in movies, when they break out the yellow pages, look, you know, oh, wow, that's right. I forgot about those. Well, I was going to say that there's uh, some other elements I want to make sure we talk about, you know, that you can hear here in the podcast. First of all is the music. And we have a whole, I mean, we, we took some music back from the period, correct? Well, that's what I actually, I was just getting ready to ask you, you know, the other elements. So where did the, the music that is in it, tell us about it. Uh, is it original? Is it public domain? Um, how's it working there? We've got a mixture of both. I mean, we've got some some public domain tunes from back in the 1920s that we're playing in the background. A lot of them are themed behind there. But uh, we have our theme song is actually a more modern uh, respect back to that time frame. And it's by a, a, a fellow podcaster on Sports History Network now. But at the time, he wasn't. Uh, we have Bruce Smith, who does the Dayton Triangles podcast. I had been doing some research for Pigskin Dispatch on the Dayton Triangles, trying to find an expert to talk on them. I came across the Dayton Triangles podcast and Bruce Smith and listened to, he has this little ditty playing under and I've came, came to find out after talking to Bruce, he's a musician and he makes jingles and things for podcasts and others. And I, I said, you know, I, I love your piano rag is what he calls it. I said, we would love to have that in our audio drama. So, so we bought the, the licensing to, to use that song. That's what you hear the little piano pieces at the beginning of every episode. Uh, we have some some talented friends that I, I've used on Pigskin Dispatch, uh, the Monroe brothers, uh, Gene and Mike, and they've right. put together some some music for us uh, during some train scenes and that we have uh, in different uh, episodes. And uh, we also have the very talented uh, friend of uh, of Oz, of uh, David Liso, that's uh, taking take, actually taking some of uh, Bruce's work and put some modern spins and put some different uh, music genres to it of that. Uh, what we call the Dayton rag theme song, you know, all of this done with the, with Bruce's permission, of course. Here's another guy I know from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And same thing. He, he remixed my theme song for truly the goats. And, you know, he did such a nice job for that, that I was like, Hey, you know, all we got is two minutes of theme song here. If we want some incidental music, can you do it? And so he, he comes back to me, he gives me like a string quartet version. He gave me this uh, Spanish guitar version, which is what we use for the outro credits now. He gave me like a, geez, it's almost like a dirge. <laughs> it's this very like slow, sad version of the song. And, you know, it's this very happy, you know, ragtime kind of jazzy. And Dave Liso just turned into like this goth thing, you know. It's tremendous. I still don't know where I'm going to use it. 
but it's a great piece of music. Other than that, man, I've been Frankenstein in the basement on some of this stuff. Yeah. Because the thing about public domain music is you can remix it. And with my, you know, free software, <laughs> my sound software, I make remixes. Yeah of this stuff you know i put modern beats i cheat i'm putting modern beats behind this stuff i'm cutting it up and stuff i'm putting in samples of joe biden and stuff it's great <laughs> great fun when you're listening to your podcast you hear the sounds of a newsroom in the back Tell me about that process, incorporating that. Oz or Darren, were you sitting on an old type manual typewriter somewhere and just pounding out sound and recording it? How, how'd, that, how'd that all work? There's a lot of stuff out there. Many, many, many years ago when I first started doing podcasting, I mean, this folder is like 12 years old on my hard drive. I found a, a folder called 1001 Sound Effects, but now that's up to like 1,600 sounds. Okay. You know, you, you can just find this stuff anywhere. Um, for the newsroom, that's actually like four ticker tapes, uh, going at different speeds, okay. going on and off, overlaid against each other, uh, because they have four ticker tapes in the office. Um, something like, uh, oh, the typing is a particular favorite of mine because, you know, I found the typing, you know, there's a bunch of like typing sound effects, MP3s you can easily yeah. download from online. And so I found one of those, but for Marla's typing, since she's so much better than everybody else, she's, I think, 25% faster and 25% louder. And it's one of those things that I don't think you'll notice if you're just like a casual listener or whatever. But I think that subliminally, it does put in that message, you know, that she's she's a superwoman. Because right. she is. I This is my biggest failing on this thing, I think, as a scriptwriter is I love Marla too much. I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm giving her too much time in this in this podcast, which is called Orville Mulligan. So I'm really having to restrain myself from that character. She's she's the first character I've had in a long time who really writes herself. And to me, it's it seems like she's kind of she's kind of behind the scenes, kind of pushing the story one way or another with the character in some ways. Marla's in control of uh, most of our characters, especially ones from our uh, our newspaper, The Guardian. I mean, she has her father do deal with Frank, who she uh, she runs the show. Frank is the head of it, but she sort of pulls right. the strings on everything, puts everything together, cleans up his messes. Uh, you know, she's uh, sort of that uh, voice of consciousness to to a young Orville who's uh, getting out in the world and seeing a lot of things and doing some things maybe that are a little bit promiscuous, but uh, Marla sort of sets him straight on a lot of things, tells him when he's doing wrong. So she, she's sort of our, our balancing beam in the story and a lot of things center off of her, like Oz says. Right. And so with, okay. So for the script writing um, and I'm, I'm guessing, how does it, how does it work with script writing? Is it both of you doing the script writing or yeah. How's it, how are you guys doing the script writing? And also what's the research process? Because in order to make this thing authentic and there's got to be, and I know both of you, God, you guys are both walking encyclopedias, but when you've gone to, you know, to write stuff down, what have you had to refer to other than say newspaper, other than say newspapers.com from the era? <laughs> My favorite website, newspapers.com. Yeah, we'll get a, shame, a shameless plug website. in there for the network. 
And now get a free one week subscription to newspapers. We went right to the source. Let's talk about this episode the Roaring Chicago Part One that's out that people can hear. We went to three experts that we know. I mean, first of all, everybody Josie Emba, yeah, he's our Chicago expert. We got a lot of information from him. Uh, a lot of the uh, gave us the idea of who our our uh, gangster football player could be in that. And we did some real in-depth newspaper.com research after he right. gave us a, some uh, things to chase there. Uh, but we also got with, especially with the Red Grange and Bob Zupke lines, we went to our friend uh, Chris Willis, who wrote yeah. a book on Grange and did extensive research on it. He's probably the foremost expert on, on that bit of history oh, yeah. from the University of Illinois in that era in Grange. And we went to another author friend, uh, Jennifer Taylor Hall, on the Amos Alonzo Stag stuff. You know, she right. wrote the book on on Stag. So we went right to the the sources that we knew that we could get some really good, accurate uh, preservation of history. And uh, they they guided us and did a great yeah. job. It's just that's just in that one episode. So we're doing that on most episodes of getting some some historians to help us out. Well, for yeah. for this first episode, since it's based in <laughs> Chicago, I'm listening to it. And, you know, as they're talking about, I'm like, I know these areas, I can see these areas in my head because I've spent so much time, not only at the University of Chicago for various reasons, but also down at the University of Illinois where I've been, you know, whether I was running track in school or down there seeing state championship football games. So that's what I enjoy there. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can see this in my head. So I, uh, I figured, and I, you know, I know Chris and I know Joe, I've, I've not met, I, I haven't met, I haven't met uh, I off the top of my her Je- Je- Jennifer Taylor Hall. Yeah, I I haven't met her though. I have listened to you know your podcasts that have talked to her, but uh, yeah, so I can feel the the authenticity coming through, and just knowing Joe as well as I do, it's like yeah, they're you know between Joe and Chris right there, those guys those guys will definitely nail it for you in terms of those you know place and character. Yeah. Now, as far as the script writing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a novice at it. You know, we have uh, the guy that's uh, sitting here in this conversation that has a degree in it. So he's, he's uh, teaching me a little bit about script writing and storytelling, but you know, he's uh, we're passing ideas back and forth on every episode where some, you know, Oz is writing an episode and bouncing things off of me. I'm writing another episode, bouncing things off him. And we're going through a whole rough draft process and, going the whole gambit you know there's there's hours upon hours on every one of these episodes just in the right. writing aspect and research oh yeah yeah i mean i would assume you know you've got a 30 minute episode out right now and in order to prepare for a 30 minute episode literally weeks worth of work goes into it oh if not most, months mo- most definitely and uh and I, I don't know this is a big reveal but uh that that uh, part one why we call it part one chicago because that was originally we were going to have that all three of these parts be one episode and we got into writing on it and got so much history about Chicago in that time. And it was so interesting that we just went overboard and we just had, you know, an overflow of uh, pages of script and our actors, you know, read all of them. And Oz called me up one day, goes, Hey, you know, I did, I'm recording this first one and this is going to be a long episode. We might want to think about breaking this up. So we decided to break it up into three pieces. Yeah. I, I now. I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off the beam here, but no one's going to listen to a freaking 90 minute episode. No one. No, you're, it's a good, good point. I mean, they'll, they'll, yeah. I mean, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. 
breaking it down into 30 minutes is a great idea. But the thing is, I've got some good tips on this question. I've got some good tips for aspiring fiction writers out there, okay, based on our experience. Okay, here's the nice slash not nice thing about doing audio drama podcasts, okay? There is no way to do it, right? Like, I'm talking about how I have a degree, right, in dramatic writing. Okay, I learned how to write movies. I learned how to write theater. I even did radio plays, okay, in those days. But I never learned how to write a podcast audio drama because there is no way well, that's to do what I was it. Asking. I was going to ask you, is there anything else similar out like this? Because I've never seen any, I've never seen any sports audio, sports fiction. Right, not really. So you go yeah. back to the basics, okay? And here are two good basic rules that everybody can follow. One, do an outline. Nobody likes to do an outline. Do an outline, okay? In the movies, they call it a treatment. Do your whole story on like a mm -hmm. minimum two pages, right? The whole thing from beginning to end, any key quotes you want in there, any, anybody can do this. And this is what one of the things that we've been doing on this podcast is we go, okay, you want to write a story for us? We know you don't know how to write a script. Write us two pages of a story, right? Give me two pages. This is what we had Josimba do. All right, help me out here. Give us two pages on, you know, Frank Reagan and the Reagan Athletic Club, right. which is where part of the story is based, where Act 3 is based, basically, the story. Okay? Um, anybody can do that. That's the first thing. The other thing is, don't worry about budget constraints. Okay? Don't worry about what you can and can't do. All right? Write everything. And this is where I kind of got into trouble on this script, is because I just wrote everything. And then I looked at it and I'm going, how am I going to do some of these yeah. sounds? Okay. But you right. will find a way, especially in this audio medium. Jeez, it's so much easier than in a visual medium. You know, you're only working in one right. dimension, sound. Right. You don't have to worry about how it looks. You know, it doesn't have to look good. You know, so, so these are two things that every writer can do in a fictional format. And that, and that's pretty much how we've been doing. And yeah, I'm kind of being a teacher to Darren here. Luckily, Darren has a lot of energy. But, you know, again, there are no rules for this. And you alluded to it earlier, Greg, when you said about, you know, how radio had acting before television and had these little yeah. dramas and serials and everything. And it's kind of a cool thing that we're going back in time and doing it almost, you know, a similar product to what they would have had in radio back, you know, the Lone Ranger episodes of the 1930s or 40s and right. you know, things like that uh, and telling a story with just audio. And we can, and we're actually talking about a time period that happened just before that. And that's what's so cool about this. It takes us back and uh, allows us to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the, um, you know, we live in a world where, let's face it, you know, radio was king before television. And then there was television. And then there came the internet. And now we're kind of, we're getting to a point now, technology wise, that, we're getting away from television. Everything is, is kind of like what we're here. We're all three of us are on a computer talking face to face and podcasts have, have kind of in a way brought radio back. If you, if you ask me, I mean, last night I was driving home and 
you know, I, I didn't have, I was in my car, I was in my wife's car. So all we had was the radio and you just kind of zooming around going, there's not a whole lot on, but the great thing with podcasts is all of us can own our own radio station or be part of a network like all three of us, all of us are. And sure, of course. dude, what is Joe Rogan doing? What is Joe Rogan doing 20 yeah. years ago? What is Bill Simmons doing 30 years ago? They're on the radio talking about right. OJ Simpson. You know, I mean, seriously, radio died. Okay. But there's obviously this call for audio because people drive so much. They jog, they go to the club. Obviously nobody cares about music. Right. Right. So obviously there's this call for the audio format. Yeah. The audio has come back hard, real, real. Yeah. Audio. I mean, Nobody was talking about audio until podcasts came out. And then it's like the latest rage. Did you hear what Joe Rogan said on his podcast? And I'm like, right. no, I listen to other podcasts because there's right. more stuff out there that undiscovered, like what your show is very, you know, uh, yeah, so much novel thing. So many new novel things are being done, like, like your podcast. But here's the thing. Okay. Uh, like, for example, we registered for this one uh, script contest for this show. And, um, you know, one of their big promotional things for this is, um, you know, that fiction podcast in the past year, you know, during the pandemic, as everything is precluded by, you know, has risen 4,000 yeah. percent fiction podcasts. Of course they have. Of course they have. Because up until now, it was everybody that likes the Pittsburgh Steelers makes a podcast, you know, in, in wow. sports, for example. Anybody that has a dog makes a podcast about yeah. dogs. You know, anybody that likes Space Force TV show makes a podcast yeah. about space. Okay. Fiction's a lot harder to right. do. But people are going, hey, I can fill a niche. And this niche that we have is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there's so few people doing historical fiction. And then there's nobody doing sports fiction. And so there's right. really nobody doing sports historical fiction. We must be insane. John, your creation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a good example is what Arnie's put together with the Sports History Network. You know, and honestly, you know, and all of us have been out there in the podcast world. I, you know, you know, Arnie, you know, Arnie set us all up good. I mean, we're kind of in that niche with sports history that uh, you just still, you know, and there's stuff out there you've got to look, but um, yeah, it's, it's, to find when you go to sports history, our our websites and all our podcasts come up, and but like you said, you know, sports fiction, whole new genre. You know, it's a, another a subgenre yeah. of a genre that is now out there that you know people are starting to dive into, and and that's kind of the the cool thing about the day and age that we live in is is being able to do this. And you know, with that said, you know, you guys are doing this. But it does cost money. So in discussing that, I know, um, how are you guys funding this? I know you have a GoFundMe page. How do people find that? How do people contribute? And so on. Uh, we have a, we actually, we have a, a Kickstarter campaign. A Kickstarter. To, okay. So, so if you go to Kickstarter and type in the words Orville Mulligan, uh, our uh, campaign will come up on there. Uh, and we're looking to, to raise the money because we want to these talented actors and uh, musicians and sound guys and everything that we're talking about. We want to yeah. get them them paid because their talents are. I mean, they're you couldn't do this without. It's a real treasure to have have them, and we want to help you know 
reach out and get, get some funds to, to pay them and have them, you know, keep doing this because we want to keep going with this and expand maybe into some other areas like Oz alluded to earlier. Okay. I should point out that the other possibility would be um, for, okay, let's see. I'm going to try and get this precise. So it would be for a final score in the upcoming Super Bowl of Rams 24, Bengals 22 in overtime on a safety by Aaron Donald who wins the MVP. <laughs> if I get that, I can fund this whole <laughs> enterprise. So let's keep fingers crossed with it. Go Aaron Donald. I mean, we're, we're also searching aggressively to, to find some uh, people to partner with, some companies to partner with. Yeah, I was going to ask, has anybody come up in terms of sponsorships right now? We are in talks with with the, more than a few uh, companies right now, and uh, we're trying to, you know, I don't want to jinx any of that, but uh, oh, no, we're, no, we're, no, we're hoping yeah. to get some of that to, to help with the production costs as well and to help, you know, put aside some funds to, to get the second season of, of Orville Mulligan going also. Hey, I'll, I'll just put it out there right now. Look, if anybody's listening to this, you if you want to contribute like – let's say $200. If you want to go $200, we'll make you a commercial. We'll give you a commercial. We'll do what you want. <laughs> you know, seriously, what do you want? We'll make you a, a dope period specific commercial. It'll be super cool. Uh, listen to either of the podcasts right now. You can listen. We've done some commercials in the past. Those are in the feed for the stream. If, 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 if you, you know, subscribe to Orville Mulligan, fourth right of the podcast anywhere, you can listen to some of our old advertisements. We can do something like that. Seriously. I have the power. $200 is all it takes. You'll have a dope new, and you can have the commercial afterwards if you want to run somewhere else. You can as, far, have as far as getting in contact with us, we, we have an email, Orville Mulligan at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a website, Orville Mulligan.com. Uh, okay. we, we have the podcast, we have a little bit of behind the scenes, some, some things we're trying to put in there, you know, about our actors and some of the stories and things like that, uh, for additional information. So either one of those are, are great places to either get in contact with us or to more, learn more about the, the audio drama. Okay. And right. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash podcast. Like was said before, any podcast feed, basically that any podcast aggregator that you subscribe to should be in there. And, and Oz, we're. Where can people find you on social media and get in contact with you? Well, I'm pretty flaky on social media these days, bro, because I'm writing so many scripts okay. <laughs> for this thing, right? So, but Oz Davis 42 uh, is my personal Twitter handle. Sports History Network, I'm floating around on there all the time. And okay, wherever you like, but just keep a lookout for Orville Mulligan because that's my life right now. And Darren, tell everybody about where they can get a hold of you and about your podcast. Well, I, I guess, I mean, first of all, we, we do have a Twitter handle at Orville Mulligan, which is the, uh, it's our, right. we're in character responding to tweets. So that's our uh, main feed uh, social media for the podcast. Uh, you can find a lot of what I do at Pigskin Dispatch on Twitter. Uh, we have Pigskin Dispatch Facebook page. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn with my, my own name, Darren Hayes. And we, we post a lot on Reddit, uh, Quora, uh, a lot of different uh, social medias there too. Okay, great. Well, listen, guys. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today, and uh, I've enjoyed this talk. It's always good getting together with you two. Anytime we talk, whether it's online or offline, um, you know, we get into some great conversations that literally can go on for hours. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so uh, with that, stay tuned for the three-hour post-credit scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the direct Sam Jackson's in it. I the heard. director's cut, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, everybody, this is Greg James with the Sports History Network. Hey, thank you again for listening, and hey, we'll hope to be talking again really soon. Thank you. Bye bye. My replica 1909 World Series program poster from Row One Brand. And that's all it took for Marla to do a complete redesign of the Guardian offices, doing up the walls with tremendous prints from baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and more sports events. And every one of them can't help but trigger memories of sports yesteryear. And here's the last one. Let's put it up here by your desk. Perfect. Ah, that's a nice one. College football, 1923, Navy versus Penn State. Do you remember that game, Marla? I sure do. It was October 20th, 1923. Cloudy, but a reasonable 57 degrees at the 2.30 kickoff time. Over 20,000 turned out at Beaverfield in College Station, Pennsylvania for this clash of two of the nation's top teams. The Nittany Lions were the underdogs, despite having won their first three games by a combined score of 94 to nothing. The heavy favorites were the midshipmen, who went on to play in the Rose Bowl after the season. Right, and the game immediately became... The entire color of the game would ultimately be dominated by Penn State's star halfback, Harry Wilson. But both offenses took some time to get going for a good 22 minutes before Wilson got the crowd to their feet with an interception of Bill McKee's forward pass, returning it all the way for his first touchdown of the day. Wilson certainly was great On the that. next kickoff, who would end up as returner but Harry Wilson? Wilson dodged at least a half dozen. Recall the greatest moment in sports history, or just your own personal favorite, with Row One Brand Sports Paraphernalia. Don't delay. Visit today at sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row One catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, Telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan. Sports Right. Coming soon. Half had barely begun when Harry Wilson and Penn State went on to work on Navy again.